Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. And I'm Val. And here we are. This is our first episode of year three of Movies That Make Us. Can you believe that we've yeah. done this for three years together now? <laughs> Holy cow. Val's put up with us that long. <laughs> that's, that's the miracle. <laughs> oh, you guys. But, and they've been two very different years. The first year was very different than the second year. Right? And this year I feel like is going to be, it's going to, it's like each season of our show has very, been very different in the world, yeah. which is actually kind of cool. Like we didn't plan it, but you know, yeah. just, each season's going to be different for us because the world is crazy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It'll be interesting to go back and listen to these because it kind of does kind of chronicle a couple of very interesting years. And so, mm -hmm. and hopefully this year will be interesting in a very different way than last year was interesting <laughs> in a very good right? way. So. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. I have to help my son get logged into the <laughs> That's what, that's what uh, um, 2020 was talk amongst was yourselves about. while I do this. <laughs> <laughs> We're all doing that work slash family, you know, re reality. Um, yeah, so. it, what's that? I said, we're all dealing with that family slash work reality. So we understand. Yes. All right. <laughs> oh, Good dad. Gosh. Oh, I like how her have a bitey. You like that she has a Spidey? Yeah, she's a good Thank, you. Fan. Thank you. Thank you. Over the next couple of weeks, there will be more Spidey, by Ooh. the way. I brought all of my movie posters and all of my stuff from my storage unit. So I have nice. I have another one. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's cool. And then this is one of the coolest things that my ex-husband ever made me, and it's going to go up, but he painted that for me. Oh wow! Oh, that's awesome. So that's gonna that's go incredible. So I've got that, and I've got like movie posters. I'm like, Dave, you can have this one wall over here for your <laughs> thing, and then I'm gonna need this whole wall for work, and then this one, and then that one, because I like I have all this stuff. I have like I forgot that I had um the Civil War poster from the movie, like the big banner that the movie theaters oh, wow. hang oh, wow. out because I was still working for Disney at the time, and I'm yeah. like, where am I gonna put that? Medium or bedroom? Like, where is this going up? <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about uh, my wife is that over the years she has um, really embraced my geekiness. And so we were able to start moving some of my nerdy stuff into the bedroom. Like, this wall is in our bedroom, and I've got, like, at the head of our bed, we've got a bunch of different travel posters from different places, oh, nice. from movies and books that we like. And nice. so it's it's kind of cool. So hopefully you find, you know, hopefully Dave's okay with the Civil War poster in your bedroom and, you know, embracing I, that. Movie I don't think he cares, honestly. Um, and, but our living room, uh, like, it's in the middle of the house where we share with everyone. And he has traveled all over the world. So he has all of these flags from like Ireland and Scotland and all these things. Oh, wow. And he wants to hang those in there. And so it'll be interesting to see like my dad's reaction when we start putting like our stuff <laughs> in the main area. Flags of many nations. <laughs> it's going to think it's become the UN in your family. <laughs> It's just the UN with all the good accents and angry people, really. <laughs> that sounds a lot like the regular UN. Lots of accents and angry people. So, wow. well, this is it. Uh, we are starting March. Um, we're we're doing our March Madness this month, um, talking about some really kind of offbeat, different movies. Uh, somewhere in between. Somewhere in that mix, we're going to be doing a special live episode where we will be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League um, because there's been so much madness about that movie and hype. Mm -hmm. And is it going to be good? Is it not going to be good? I don't know. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of Zack Snyder in, in the uh, DC Extended Universe, but I'm willing to give it a shot. So Right. I, I just read today the synopsis that is said to be legit. And it sounds legit about um, the second and third movies that he had planned. And I, I'm with you, Jake. I am not. I, I like Zack Snyder kind of. In, I loved Watchmen. I love 300. A lot of his other stuff doesn't work for me. 
but I'm going in and giving it a shot. So we'll see. I, I do anticipate it will be better than the cut of Justice League that we've had for the last couple of years. And the biggest reason why is I just believe that it's hard. Like Solo, I think would have been a better movie if it hadn't switched directors partway mm-hmm. through toward the mm-hmm. end. And I think Justice League would have been a better movie if it had either been Zack Snyder's or the other guys whose name we don't say anymore because he's gotten into some issues and, and stuff. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, I think it just doesn't work when you have somebody, especially two very different styles come mm-hmm. in and, and take that. So I'm interested, intrigued. Yeah. See what it, what it's like. So I'm yeah. trying to go in with an open mind uh, with it. Even though, like I said, I, I'm not typically a big Zack Snyder fan with the DCEU. So, but I could eat my, I could eat crow. Who knows? Sure. I'm willing yeah, to I might, you guys know I've, I've been very vocal about, I don't understand how it could be totally that different and much better, but this is the thing. And I know this is a super unpopular opinion and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get into that episode a little bit more, but I actually r- kind of liked um, Joker um, mm-hmm. Jared Leto's Joker, but what oh. I think happened is that the way they um, edited that film and re-edited that film, we only really got to see a total of three minutes, I think, of his character total in the movie um, in Suicide Squad, and so we didn't really get to see all of what Jared Leto did with that character and how dark, because I believe the Joker is a super dark and super psychotic character, um, mm-hmm. and I like Jared Leto as an actor, um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see him in this movie because he wasn't in the other one in right. the original they, cut. They filmed, he's that, in that filmed just now. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's in the Zack Snyder cut of that. And I, I, if I know this correctly, they, they filmed like hours and hours of the Joker scene, um, doing different scenes for Suicide Squad and it just didn't make it in the movie. And so that's why we don't understand his, like people are like, I don't understand why he was doing this and doing that. And he just looks like, you know, a really jokered out Kevin Federline, whatever. Like, I get, <laughs> like, but for me, like I really liked the direction he was going with it because it was a kind of Joker that we'd never seen before. I don't want to keep seeing the same Joker over and over and over. So I was very intrigued by this different kind of Joker. Um, I just wish that they wouldn't have re-edited Suicide Squad to be a music video. And we would have gotten (laughs) a little bit more of an actual story, actual depth to that movie. And so I'm very interested. I, I might eat my words because I've been just kind of crapping on this, this Snyder cut for a long time. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I'm intrigued. It it might be better, but I don't know. We'll yeah. Give it a shot. <laughs> That's all I, we can do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I just want to go on the record now as saying that it might be better, and I think it will be better than the Justice League cut that we have. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. So I I actually rewatched Justice League um, like four or five days ago. And I still feel really sick. Like my stomach still hurts. (laughs) Yeah. I liked it better than Batman versus Superman, which I loathed that film. I thought that film was awful. I have heard a lot of people say that the director's cut of Batman v Superman, and I think they've got the ultimate cut or whatever on HBO Mm -hmm. max right now Mm -hmm. is better. And it fills in the holes and um, it's a much better movie. So I tried starting to watch that the other day and I haven't gotten very far into it because it just brings back those traumatic experiences of watching. Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. and so maybe it's better, and that'll give me hope for Justice League. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But I'm interested, and I think if we're talking a, about a month of movies that are a little bit offbeat, a little bit different, a little and a little bit of madness behind them, I think it's a great fit for that. Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm excited right. to do that live. And so we will let you guys know when that's going to happen so that you can join us on Facebook uh, and on YouTube and submit comments uh let us know when our opinions are completely off base and wrong it's fine um we're we're grown up <laughs> and for the most part we can take it <laughs> but no it'll be fun to be interactive because i do think that there are a lot of opinions and feelings going into this 
there's not a lot of people that are just lukewarm about it. So I right. think there will be a lot of opinions after it comes out. So uh, it should be interesting. And today we've talked about Zack Snyder. We're talking about directors today as we do our staff picks. Um, and as we are going into March Madness, we wanted to talk about some directors who are who are known to be a little offbeat and a little bit different uh, and pick three films from their uh, repertoire uh, of films <laughs> that they've done. Um, that kind of represent a little bit of their madness and a little bit of their offbeatness. So Tracy, why don't we start with you? I don't remember who we started with last month, but we're going to start with you this month. Uh, I think we started with Val last month. Yes. So we're going to start with you, Tracy. Yep. I got, I got some heavy, I got some heavy stuff this month, friends. Okay. but, But so I went with a director who I feel is one of the most unique Visionaries, one of the most unique directors with his point of view. Um, somebody who doesn't compromise his vision um, and and has some very controversial and unique and interesting films. And I went with uh, Darren Aronofsky. Okay. Okay. So he is... Um, so the three films that I picked, and these three films were released right in a row. Um, he started off, well, before we get to my pick, so he started off with the movie Pie. Um, it became a Sundance critical acclaimed hit, kind of became the talk of Sundance. Um, that led him into the film Requiem for a Dream, which deals with uh, substance abuse, and that got all sorts of attention. And then we move into my first pick, which is one of my favorite films and one that I feel like we should probably discuss one of these days, The Fountain. Um, okay. The Fountain stars Hugh Jackman. Um, it's three separate stories told over three different time periods. It is the story of a conquistador in Spain who is searching for the tree of life in order to uh, let his queen live forever. Then we have the modern day, and he is a um, cancer brain tumor research specialist racing to try and find a cure for cancer as his wife is dying from cancer. And then we have a future where a space traveler, Hugh Jackman is traveling to a dying star um, in order to bring the tree back to life in order to regenerate it. Um, Incredibly beautifully, lyrically, um, visually stunning. And, And the thing that I think is so interesting with him is he has this vision of this cosmos and this future that that we're setting it in. And they came back with a quote for like $10 million for the CGI. And he's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. I don't have the budget for it, but I don't want to dilute my vision. So he got together with a guy who takes drops of water and then he has a special microscopic camera and he injects different dyes and different um, particles into these drops of water. And because you're watching gravitation, you're watching some of these physical aspects to them. It creates this really bizarre otherworldly space-like effect. Um, They filmed all the, the effects for that for like $65,000. And the, the results are amazing. They're, they're beautiful, beautiful shots. Um, but it deals with life and love and letting go and rebirth. And it's just a, absolutely, it's a really poetic film to me. To me, yeah. that is cinematic poetry. Um, so yeah. then we move into, have you guys seen it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I have not seen the fountain. Believe yeah, it or not. I, it's um, been a while, but yes, it's, it's a, uh, it's not one of those movies that you watch over and over, but I've seen it like three times, but like in a space, like spanned out time periods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's one that I think that depending on where you are in, in your life, you'll find mm-hmm. different levels of meaning to it. Um, yep. I, I felt like rewatching it now. I, cause I hadn't watched it in probably three or four years. It, I'm a different person now than I was then. And so I got different things out of it. Um, yeah. But just a beautifully told story. I remember when it came out and it seemed like it was one of those films that was very, polarizing you either thought it was brilliant and amazing or you didn't like it at all and it seems like there are a lot of people that are in those two camps not a lot of people Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that 
that aren't. Um, but I think just from the synopsis that you gave, the fact that you've got this kind of time travel piece to it or going through different three different stories and three different times and you got a guy who's traveling through space and all it sounds very otherworldly but at the same time i know it was very critically acclaimed the music is fantastic from what i understand it was nominated score. for a lot of awards oh. for the music um, and so i thought of I, the score just now and i got goosebumps <laughs> i would i would love to talk about that one on the show sometime and, and find okay. an excuse to have to go watch it in fact i might i've heard it's popped up a couple of different places over the last couple of weeks i'm like why did i never see i need to go see that one so yeah that's a great uh, really 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 interesting stuff and that's the thing with aronofsky is you either love the piece or you hate the piece um his latest film mother which had, um, what's the actress's name? Um, she was Mystique in X-Men. Oh. Jennifer um, Lawrence. Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence, thank you. Um, I haven't seen Mother, but I have heard a lot of people not like that movie. I didn't um, care for it. I haven't I, seen it. So, yeah. But that's the it, thing with him, is he has yeah. such a vision of what he wants, and he's not willing to compromise in order to make it more popular. It's yeah. like, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I think it was definitely um, a movie that was challenging for the actors. And I appreciate that. It just wasn't mm -hmm. a movie for me. And again, he I, does make movies that depending on where you are in your life at the time, you may not like it at that point of your life. Mm -hmm. And so you may want to come back. And when mother came out, I was like, I don't need this, this kind of drama right now. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't need whatever is happening here. Like, I don't need that in my life. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, when I had to screen it, I was just, I, I, I respected Jennifer Lawrence and it was definitely, it was some hard, character acting for sure mm -hmm. um but uh it just what it wasn't something that i would be like hey you know what we should go watch tonight it's it's friday night let's pop on mother yeah yeah and kind of the, that's kind of how all his films are um the the second film that i picked is actually probably his most mainstream accessible film and that's the wrestler um this came out after the yeah. fountain Mickey Rourke plays a professional wrestler who was huge in the day. He was this big, he had a video, they had like a Nintendo video game and his character was the star. Um, he lived this big glamorous life and now it's 20 years later and he's just, his body is broken. He's, his spirit's kind of broken. He's got a broken family, just this kind of, um, husk of a man even though he's still huge he's still a big guy but he's doing these wrestling matches where it used to be in arenas and now he's doing them in these high school gyms or you know these tiny little um areas he has to take a job uh working at a deli counter in order to try and make ends meet he's trying to um re-establish his relationship with his daughter um just a really really beautiful a uh, character piece. This really is a character driven film. There's not a ton of plot. It's about this character and about his, his uh, experiences. And um, based on the friendship with Mickey work. And after reading the script, Bruce Springsteen wrote an original song for the film called the wrestler. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever you have Bruce Springsteen adding a song to your soundtrack, that's a pretty good, yeah, pretty good sign there, you know? Um, but that one's probably his most mainstream, his most accessible. Um, mm -hmm. Marissa Tomei is fantastic in that film. Um, there is nudity in the film. So, you know, go in, no one know that going into it. Um, mm -hmm. But, but great, great work. Um, well, and I think that was the film that really brought Mickey Rourke back onto the stage again. Like yeah, he had mm -hmm. kind of just mm -hmm. not really done a whole lot. Uh, and then he was, I believe, even nominated for a lot of acting awards for for The Wrestler. And, you know, that's what led to him being an Iron Man, too. So we have The Wrestler mm -hmm. to thank for Whiplash and Iron Man, too. So <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it totally. But no, but but The Wrestler is an amazing film. And it, it does peel back a lot of stuff behind the scenes that you don't really know about professional wrestling um, you have this idea that they, when you're super successful, that you're kind of set for life. And a lot of them 
that were super successful were not. And that's why they mm-hmm. continue to go on the indie circuit and do these kind of wrestling matches. I, I think there's scenes where he's having to um, cut his head so that he, mm-hmm. you know, he's using blades and stuff so that he bleeds when he's out there and, and his body being broken. I mean, it just brought a lot of the realism to wrestling that people don't know that happens behind the scenes. So, yeah, he, he, he needs to take steroids because he's an older guy but he still has to be in this massive physical shape. So mm-hmm. he's taking steroids. He's taking painkillers. He's got like just all these, these issues. Cause these guys, when they're wrestling, especially back then, they didn't have health insurance and they didn't have, right. if you get injured, you go to the hospital, you taped it up it and you went back changed. out there. It hasn't changed. That's Most true. of the wrestlers in the WWE right now are signed on as independent contractors, so they don't have to give them insurance. So they are on their own for insurance. They're on like it is people don't get it. It's not like being an NBA star or an NFL star. It's very, very different. Um mm-hmm. and so yeah, this film I, I love the wrestler. Great, great nice, movie. nice. Um and then moving Not into one that the, you would put on for a good time either, though. Just so you true, <laughs> and that's the thing. That's why film. I'm like, okay, we're going heavy on this one. We're going heavy with this yeah. director this month. Um, but but I like films that challenge me. I like films. Yeah. I'm all for popcorn flicks. Don't get me wrong. I am all for the the action adventure and the explosions and all of that. But I do like films that challenge me and that make me um, think about things afterwards. I love having conversations like this after watching a film um, leading us into the third film um, in this trilogy, if you will um, again, released right after the wrestler a year or two after um, we've got Mila Kunis. We've got Natalie Portman in black Swan. Mm. And this is the story of black Swan. It is the story of the ballet told through a cinematic perspective. Um, a young girl uh, lives with her mother. She's trying out for the ballet um, she gets cast as the white swan in the, in the part, the director is pushing her to embrace more of the dark side, um, become more of the black swan. It's a very psycho um, film in terms of psychological. Um, there's questions about because Mila Kunis comes into the, into the company and she gets the role of the black swan and is kind of the backup. And there's questions about whether or not she's real um, whether she's imaginary and part of Natalie Portman's character psyche. Um, it's not of the three. It's my least favorite, but mm-hmm. um, powerhouse performances from Natalie Portman. She is a very underrated actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we forget because we see her in the prequels of the star Wars films. We forget this girl can flat out act. And the, the moments that she goes from pure joy to just the pain in her eyes. She does so much with her eyes in this film. And that's the other thing I love about Aronofsky is love him or hate him um, or love or hate that film. He gets performances out of his actors. Um, He really draws out what he needs from them. Yep. I was just thinking that that same thing, because we've talked about two films now where really he brought performances out of actors that, that you didn't expect, like Mickey Rourke and then Natalie Portman. I mean, this was and again, Hugh Jackman. and Hugh Jackman is another one. Um, I, I think again, Natalie Portman, like you said, she was known for the star Wars prequels and that was really it. And this really was the thing that people looked at and said, Oh, Natalie Portman can actually act. And well, not that she Academy didn't act in the film. star Wars. Yeah. 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 Not that she didn't act in the Star Wars prequels. I'm not hating on the prequels, just right. to be clear. But 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 the, but, the, but not it's to a the same level that she did in Black Swan. It's a different type of acting. Yeah. It's a different type of acting that's required. And to be honest, the the scripts, in my opinion, for the prequels just weren't didn't give the actors much to to hang on. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and then, um, not included in the picks, but I had never actually watched it all the way through. And the other day while I was working, um, Noah with Russell Crowe was on the Sci-Fi channel. And I'm like, I've seen bits and pieces. I've never seen the full thing. I ended up liking that a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I liked that I, movie a lot more than most people thought. Um, there's just so many things that, that he makes you question in mm-hmm. that film beyond what people think it's about. 
Um, and, and it's, it pushes you past your comfort zone. That film. I know a lot of critics were like, it just wasn't well made. It wasn't realistic. I'm like, it's not realistic. Like, (laughs) were you there? Do we have like, other than the book, do we have documents on like, so for me, I loved that with Noah and I, this is one of the things I've kept from, um, the movie stuff I get, I actually have a water poncho. Like it's a big poncho from oh. Noah because if they're wet the whole movie, like they're just, it's just raining the whole time. Right. So I have right. this, this like, and it's like really nice water, um, like raincoat, um, from Noah and it's in my closet, but, um, that's some yeah. very interesting swag. I like yeah, that. Like that's what they sent out to us is they sent us rain jackets. <laughs> like, usually you get, yeah, you water. get posters, you get, yeah, but a rain jacket. That's cool. Um, yeah. From um, no man land. They sent me like a license plate um, and like a window shade for like my car. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, for, for Noah one, I thought it was really good performances by the actors and but I just think the questions that he put up in that movie, like what you have to pick over your family or over your beliefs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if you're a person that believes in something, whether it is your community or religion or you know something that you feel so um, passionate about, how far do you go? You know, could you mm-hmm. could you choose that over a family member, over your family member's happiness, or over your community's happiness? Um, and so it really pushes those lines um, with okay, like I know that this 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 is being told to me that this is the right thing, but I feel this thing over here, like it's just there was a lot of struggle in that movie that I think that's why people didn't like it is because mm-hmm. it made them look at themselves and look at what they believed in and question. You should always question what you believe in. If you don't, I don't believe that you believe in it. If you don't question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's like uh, four chapters in the Bible for Noah. It's not a big yeah. story. So yeah. So they, they really a expand, movie. They expand on the characters and what they uh-huh. and who uh-huh. e- these individuals are like and what their contributions are and how they react with each other and what's going on. And I'm glad that they're that they showed that struggle because I don't think it would have been super easy, right? Like he's <laughs> no. got a guy and he's like, so hear me out. <laughs> it's gonna start raining. And it's going to rain a lot. <laughs> we can't take everyone with us. <laughs> so basically, you're all going to die, and I'm getting out of here. So see ya. <laughs> after I round up some animals, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I can bring these snakes, but your buddy next door, he's going to have to stay home. <laughs> It's just, it's just the way it goes. I've got my orders. This is what I've got. So yeah. So I um, actually really I enjoyed this film in the struggle and the cinematography of Noah was actually mm-hmm. fantastic. The coloring and everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and just again to reiterate what Jake said, um, check out the score to the fountain, especially the song "Death Is the Road to Awe." Um, that piece of music. It just, it's so repetitive, but it just builds and it changes slightly and then it builds and then it drops down way low. Listen to it with a good pair of headphones. Don't just listen to it in your computer speakers. Really find some good headphones and listen to the dynamics of that, of that song. So there's my staff picks. I figured he's kind of a crazy director. He's very offbeat. It fit into March Madness. Um, Again, Mm -hmm. heavy stuff. But if you want some interesting, thought-provoking films, um, check out Aronofsky if you haven't. Nice. Awesome. I think those are some great picks. And um, like I said, The Fountain has popped up a couple of different times for me recently. So this is just another sign that I probably need to go watch it. So, (laughs) um, which is awesome. Um, My pick, we're going to let you go last this time, Val. Woohoo! Save the best my, for last. That's good because I broke the rules with my picks. So. Oh. <laughs> rules? We have rules? I mean. We, yeah. We've like loosely had guidelines. So when I think offbeat, one of my favorite directors is Tim Burton. And so that's who I picked for this. Um, and he's got quite 
a wide variety of films that he's done. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to pick him because I do think people pigeonhole him into a certain look and a certain style. And part of that is when you watch a Tim Burton movie, oftentimes you can tell it's a Tim Burton movie, but he tells very different stories. When you look at his whole catalog of movies, it ranges from Pee Wee Herman, uh, you know, uh-huh. Pee Wee's big adventure yeah. to like big fish to, yeah. you know, Ed Wood. And there's just a, a wide variety of things that he's oh, covered Ed Wood. And, and done. Yeah. I yeah. love Edward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and while all of them, when you sit down to watch a Tim Burton movie, you get that essence of Tim Burton in it. They're all very different stories. Um, and I, I just think he's a very imaginative and very creative um, director. Uh, I didn't pick Ed Wood as one of my films because, but it is an amazing film and I think you should, everybody should check it out. Bill Murray. Um, Bill Murray. I'm sorry, but the scene where he's getting baptized <laughs> And they're mm-hmm. like, do you reject Satan and accept Christ as your savior? He's like, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just so is that what you need me to do right now? <laughs> Which is the most Bill Murray like response to something like, sure. like that. Um, but I, I feel like what uh, Tim Burton does is he's a modern day fairy tale uh, storyteller. I think he takes these concepts that we have in fairy tales and he brings them into kind of a modern retelling and then in a very Tim Burton way. And I think one of the movies that he's done that really demonstrates that is Edward Scissorhands, which is one of my all time favorite, uh, not just Tim Burton movies, but just movies in general. Um, mm-hmm. it, it It's a very, very similar to like a Beauty and the Beast type story, but it's got a lot of commentary on, you know, society today and this outward appearance and keeping up appearances and being able to look beyond that. Um, And even though it seems like such a dark film on the outside and very Gothic looking film, it's got a very good message and a very, um, I think heartwarming story and great performances from the two main actors, Johnny Depp uh, and Winona Ryder. Um, like, I just feel like it's just a solid film from start to finish. And it's got some great comedic moments. I mean, him with the waterbed, him with, I mean, everything <laughs> that you could think of with, if you've got scissors for hands, um, like it just, it plays into that really well. And I love, you know, the, the mother figure in this who takes him in and she thinks she can fix his scars with all of her makeup and like trying to, <laughs> they try to get him to fit in to the society and it, what makes him brilliant and amazing and awesome is that he's so different from everything that's in this cookie cutter society. Um, and as a kid who I, I mean, I wasn't nowhere near as strange as Edwards is or hands, but as a kid yeah. who felt like I didn't necessarily fit into the cookie cutter look or style or feel of the society that I grew up in. Um, that was comforting to me. And I think everybody feels like an outsider sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so to have a story where you're in the end, you're appreciated for who you are and, um, and for those differences instead of just fitting in, I think is, is a powerful story. Yeah, definitely. So um, I remember seeing that in the theater as a kid and being like, what am I watching? Uh, didn't quite get it. My, my sisters were like, Oh, Johnny Depp is so beautiful. Um, <laughs> so, Which I, is a weird field to say that about Johnny Depp. Cause he's not, <laughs> but you know, whatever. This but wasn't he's Johnny so broken. Depp. He's yes. so innocent, you know. Um, but uh, but I've grown to appreciate it later for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I I could see that like as a as a younger male going to the theater and watching it with your sisters, like this is not for me because it is a love story. <laughs> I was a Star Wars kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can totally Back see to that. The future. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is totally different than that for sure. Um, and I love that this is the movie that came out right after he did Batman. Like this is the one that was released yeah. right oh, after Batman. Yeah. That's right. I forgot that. Yeah. So, and, and he, and Batman really put him on the map so that he could kind of just say, this is what I'm going to do. Um, right. you know, without the success right. of Batman nightmare before Christmas wouldn't have happened because he right. went to Disney before he, you know, he had worked for Disney as an anime animator presented nightmare before christmas and they're like this is not for us yeah, it's a little dark <laughs> and then batman happened and they said hey we would love to do nightmare before christmas if you want <laughs> and, and the reason he only and nightmare before christmas is not on my list because he didn't direct nightmare before christmas right. i think that's right um important but the reason he didn't is the second movie on my list which is batman returns that's why he didn't do uh nightmare before christmas as a director but produced it instead um 
I love 1989's Batman. I love Michael Keaton as Batman. I love uh, Jack Nicholson as uh, the Joker. I think it's a great movie. I really feel like with Batman Returns, because of the success of Batman, they kind of just said to Tim Burton, okay, do what you no. want. <laughs> Batman, they had the reins on. It was definitely the studio had their say in what it was going to look like and what it was going to feel like. Batman Returns was very much a Tim Burton film, I think more than Batman. Um, just in the look and the feel um, and the characters, but it's also very brilliant. I think to date, this is the best Catwoman that we've had on film. I mean, it's close. It's between Michelle Pfeiffer and Halle Berry, but I think she just edges her out <laughs> by a lot. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer's brilliant. It's close, in this. but she edges her out by a lot. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't keep up the facade. All right, we I know. Like Anne, I like Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. But yeah, but yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. I think on the big screen is is the yep. best Catwoman for sure. And I think Danny I DeVito as Penguin was brilliantly cast. And what I love about this is neither one of them are the really main villain. It's really Christopher Walken's character that's the main yeah. villain and the main yeah. bad guy. Um, but this, I mean. I know a lot of people didn't like Batman Returns as much as Batman, but for me, I was like, no, this is like pure Tim Burton telling a story, a superhero story, and I'm all over that. Like, I just mm -hmm. love the look and the feel. Um, and, I mean, really, because of the mixed reviews, that's why we end up not having him come back for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And, you know, yeah, those turned out so much better. Um, <laughs> so... But I, I really like Batman Returns. I like the story. I like that you get the backstory of Penguin and who he is and how, you know, he's you really kind of the backside of Penguin, which I can't get out of my mind. Like every time also, you say it, I just see Penguin's butt. Yeah, which was not attractive at all. Daily? You see that daily? If you I say it, if you say Penguin, like if you say his character, that's the first thing that comes into my mind. Is the penguin butt? Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. <laughs> but but I love how you set him up as this character that is kind of the opposite of Bruce Wayne. Yes, he came from a rich family, but he was raised by circus freaks in the sewer and everything else. But he should have the same inheritance that Bruce Wayne had. And anyway, I I just think it's a great story, um, great storytelling, great development of the characters. Uh, a lot of superhero films have kind of tried to copy this where you've got multiple villains in the film instead right. of focusing on just one. But I think this one does it better than almost any of them out there because you still get a complete Catwoman arc. You get a complete Penguin arc um, and it doesn't trample the story either. So yeah. Batman Returns, I think, is underrated. And I think it's it may be um, between Batman and Batman Returns. I, I probably prefer it a little bit more. So interesting. All right. Yeah. I haven't watched that to be honest. I haven't watched that since the theater. So I'll, I, I, I should go back and, and check that out. I think it's on HBO max, isn't it? Yeah. I, they've yeah. got all the Batman ones. Yeah. on HBO. Yeah, okay. You can even watch Batman and Robin. If you really <laughs> bat nipples. hate yourself. Yeah. If you want the bat nipples, George Clooney should have been a much better Batman than he was. I don't, great. I don't get it. I think, I, if really he was, don't. I think if he was George Clooney now making that yes. film, because he knows he ha he has he has more control over what happens yes. in a movie mm -hmm. that yes. he's in, mm -hmm. and I think that that back then he was just so happy to be in this film um, that he didn't question anything and he didn't um, push anything. I, yeah, I if, if I, I remember right, I, I read an article once where he said that's one of the very few films that he regrets because he feels like he did not bring. He's like yeah. the, the film, whatever the film is, is whatever the film is, but he was not happy with his performance and his contribution. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't really question what he was being told to do. He just did it because he would, he just felt so lucky to be there. And instead of like doing his job, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, then the third film that I've got is a very different one. It's his animated film, the corpse bride, which, nice. um, I'll be honest, it's on here for purely selfish reasons. I love the film, but it's That's on here because... Picks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when I think of Tim Burton, uh, this is a film that my wife and I watch on Valentine's Day. We watch it at Halloween time because this was a film that we went when we were first dating and we went and saw Aww. it. And it's the first time we held hands. And so it Aww, it's always one that reminds us... 
Yeah. It it reminds it's like our love story. Not really, because neither of us <laughs> were dead. Like but but it was a, a romantic film that we went and saw together and it reminds us of our love story as it's growing anyway. So um but it's a great film. Nightmare Before Christmas was produced by Tim Burton, looked very much like Tim Burton. He had a lot of say and control over it, but this was really him directing uh, this animated feature. Uh, it's the same style of animation. Um, it's a very, again, a, a very different kind of fairy tale type story about love and um, the importance of, you know, that relationship. And, and you've got two very awkward people in uh, the two main characters that, that are going to fall in love. And then you've got the corpse bride and it's just all great. It is just so pure Tim Burton. The music is fantastic because of course, Danny Elfman's involved in the music. You've got Johnny Depp doing some of the voice acting. Like it's got the whole cast of what you expect in a Tim Burton film, a modern Tim Burton film. Um, and it's just, it's just fun. It's a great little Halloween feature, um, but you can watch it anytime. But so that's my third like Nice. I like, I like that Burton has, he's got, he's like an auteur. He's got his own style, his own vision. Like you said, you know that it's a Tim Burton film when you watch it, um, which I love that, that you can carry that type of thing all the way through your career. And like you said, is it's a Tim Burton film, but within that genre, it's almost like its own sub, sub genre. Like yeah. there's mm -hmm. all these different levels of films um, and storytelling, yeah. like you said, yeah. Yep, I agree. And that doesn't even touch on, I mean, you've got, you've still got Mars Attack, you've got uh, <laughs> Sleepy Hollow, you've got um, just the Demon the, Barber. Yeah, I can't think of the name now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sweeney, uh, Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, there it is. Sweeney Todd. Um, and just so many different, you've got big eyes, like, like there's just so many, yeah, so many different films to choose from. But yeah, you do definitely know when you're watching it, this is a Tim Burton movie. Um, I will submit my, I, one of the things that he's just so dark and gothic. He's not, his films and his stories actually are not, they may look dark, but when you watch them, they're very optimistic and very positive more often than not. It's just so, the aesthetic. It's like when people say yeah. that people wear black all the time. Oh, they're dark. They must be really sad all the time. No, we just like black. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. just, our, it's just our aesthetic, but we have nice things to say. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Exactly. And plus Danny Elfman, I mean, without Tim Burton, Danny Elfman wouldn't be the film uh, composer that he is True. today. Um, and I think he's done some incredible scores with Tim Burton and even aside from Tim Burton movies. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. anyway. All right, Val, let's hear your picks that don't follow the rules. Here well, we I'm go. Just, I'm not following the outline of the three movies, like picking three specific movies. Um, okay. But my offbeat director, my favorite offbeat director is Robert Rodriguez. Nice. Okay. So I nice. love him. And a lot of people have seen more of the stuff that he's produced than he has directed. Um, but he kind of has these three different sections of film directing he he dabbles in a lot of things which i love so in like the mid 90s he had you know desperado which i love four rooms and from dusk till dawn that all mm -hmm. came out mm -hmm. in the same year <laughs> like literally wow. right. all came out That's in right yeah 1995 1996 you had desperado four rooms and from dusk till dawn and these movies are so great like i love okay you know um Right now, vampires are really in, so let's make a vampire movie with From Dusk Till Dawn. But it's not, it's like this. It's not your typical vampire film. It's not. It's no, so it's Robert Rodriguez. And, different. and then yep. you have Four Rooms, which is all of these crazy stories of these different people that happen in this room. And what I love about him is with Four Rooms, it was kind of a Tarantino-esque movie, but in a way that I can digest it. Because I was going to pick Tarantino. I don't necessarily, I respect Tarantino's work. Mm -hmm. um, and what he does as a director, but I don't love his films. They're not necessarily mm -hmm. all for me, but I respect what he does. Whereas you have Robert Rodriguez where his mind works in a similar pattern, but I can actually digest his films, right? It's not, yeah, right. it's mm -hmm. not just blood for the sake of blood. It's not long for the sake of being long. Um, and Desperado is just great. If you haven't seen the movie Desperado, mm -hmm. you need to go and see that. But then we move into the two thousands and he does Sin City and Grindhouse. Um, and 
I'm not a huge fan of Grindhouse. Um, right. But and Sin City is not a movie that I can watch all the time. But what he did with Sin City, yeah, um, is crazy cool. Like just the black and white mm-hmm. effects, the fact mm-hmm. that this was, you know, a superhero movie that's not a superhero movie. Um, but in that same time period, he does Spy Kids. I have watched yes. Spy Kids so many times with Sammy. Like we love Spy Kids. You've got you've got his off like weird off the wall like humor and storytelling but in a way that families can sit down and watch it together. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know like do you guys like Spy Kids? I don't know that I know a person that doesn't like Spy Kids. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that like when you just see the previews or you're not familiar with it and you haven't seen it, you're like, that's a kid's movie and I'm not interested, but then right. your kids make you watch it and you're like, yeah. okay, if I have to sit through a kid's movie, that one was enjoyable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. it's got this oddball, you know, humor and oddball characters everywhere. And he, he does have a very specific styling, just like um, the other two directors. He has a specific styling to the coloring of most of his films, especially mm-hmm. during, during um, the late 1980s and early 2000s. When, even if you go from spy kids to four rooms um, to uh, Sin City. He's got this very specific look to the films that he does, but he also pushes himself. And then he does Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yes. I have to say, this is one of the most underrated movies that there is out there. I I think Once Upon a Time in Mexico, um, it's it's a weird love story. It is. It's just this weird love story. And I would have to say that Antonio Banderas probably wouldn't be the actor that he is. Um, And Danny Trejo wouldn't have the money and the pull Mm -hmm. that he does. If he, if it wasn't for Robert Rodriguez, because that, yes, they were both um, well-known actors before Robert Rodriguez, but what Robert Rodriguez did for Antonio Banderas, Selma Hayek, Johnny Depp is in this movie. Mickey Rourke is in this movie. Ava Mendez, Donnie Trejo, um, Enrique Iglesias. Like <laughs> he gives them everybody. He gives them storylines that they he pushes them and he allows the audience to see where they can be pushed where i think yeah okay antonio banderas was in zorro we all enjoy the zorro movies but what he keeps doing i think antonio banderas is kind of like johnny depp to you know your yes. your your pick um yeah, Jake. like he antonio banderas for Roger, robert rodriguez is fantastic and honestly Antonio Banderas has been in other movies, but I think my most favorite of his movies are Robert Rodriguez movies. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can tell that they've got that kind of relationship because the fact that he could go to Antonio Banderas and say, I'm doing this spy movie for kids. That's going to be <laughs> like at the yes, point that Antonio Banderas day. was in his, yeah. Like <laughs> at the point that he was in his career, he could have very yeah. easily been like, that is not, I'm not mm-hmm. attaching myself to that project, but because he trusted Robert Red- Rodriguez, he was in. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that that matters. I know we've so. done Dusk Till Dawn together, and I know we've done Machete, and I know we've done all <laughs> But how about we do this Spy Kids thing? And because he is so good at what he does, um, people just say yes. But... I love the fact that he doesn't just do films, just like the cinematographer that I choose that I chose, you know, she did a lot of things outside of films. Mm -hmm. She also did TV shows is that Robert Rodriguez also does short films. Like he did a short film um, with Demi Lovato, which was very thought provoking. He also did, Mm. um, you know, um, some things. uh, Oh, my phone's ringing. Sorry. Um, with Lady Gaga, you know, he works with people mm. that like to think outside of the box and he's not beyond doing shorts or, you know, out of the box things. And El- I-, I-, I would have to say like, yes, I'm going to jump from these big movies that we've all seen. And we haven't talked too much about the movies like we have with years, but cause I want to spend most of my time talking specifically about my last pick, but I have to say, I just love the fact that you can look at his um, repertoire of directing and producing. He is a huge producer of things. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you and can he, look. Yeah. I, I was just going to say he has helped so many people from the um, Latin America and Mexican um, community. Yeah 
in, in terms of his cinematographers, a lot of his behind the scenes people, he tends to hire minorities, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love that about him because if he sees something that is intriguing to him or a person that is intriguing to him, he doesn't care about the Hollywood aspect of it. He's like, you know what? I want to get in there and do that. I want to see what this person can do. This intrigues me over here. I want to, I want to see it. Like, you know, for somebody to pitch Sin City and for that Mm -hmm. to work, um, I, you know, again, it's not one of my favorite films, but I, I really respect as a filmmaker what he did with Sin City. And you know, immediately when I say the word Sin City, what do you guys picture? You picture, you know, a very specific yeah. scene it's, or or shot from the film. It's a Frank Miller comic book brought to life on screen. Right. Yeah, which exactly. is incredible. It, yeah. The same black and white feel and mm-hmm. look that the comic book had. Yeah. And I honestly think if Sin City would have been made last year instead of in 2005, it would have gotten more recognition than it did. Um, I can see that, yeah. And but, but at the same time, I think it's one that helped pave the way to see exactly. that you can take these great stories from comic books and make them into great, powerful movies. And mm-hmm. um, it's one that probably doesn't get the same recognition that like, you know, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man gets or whatever, but it should, because it really shows us like it opens the door for like the dark Knight trilogy being made and mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. because it's a much more serious gritty story than what, than a superhero yeah. story normally and, is. And anybody who can take Elijah Wood and make him creepy as bleep. Um, well done. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm looking at his timeline and the reason why I respect him so much. And I think it's because me as a person, like I don't ever want to be put in a box of this is what you do. Right. Right. And, and so when I look at his timeline, just from 2010, he directs machete. He directs the TV series, women in chains, which if you have not seen that, um, it, it's really cool. And then he did the Jetsons. <laughs> like, it, yeah. it, I didn't know he did the Jetsons. He did the Jetsons. And then right after okay. that, he did, he did Spy Kids. And then he did Nike, the Black Mamba. Um, mm. And then he did, um, uh, you know, a couple of other like behind the scenes things before he did um, Matador TV series where he did a couple of things. And then he went on to do the Demi Lovato um, Confident video short. Um, so just like jumping all over the place. And then I know I did the review for, um, Alita black, uh, battle angel. And I didn't give this movie a high grade. I think it was like a C plus or a B minus, um, just because I didn't feel like I got everything I needed to out of the film. But as far as the directing of the film and the storytelling of Alita, when it was being made, I do respect the film. Um, you know, But what I really, really want to talk about is he directed one of my absolute favorite episodes of The Mandalorian. And that's that's chapter 14, the tragedy when they they bring, um, you know, baby Yoda, which is not the child um, to the planet. (laughs) They put him on, you know, that rock in the middle of everything. And then Boba Fett comes in and there's the huge battle. Um, that was directed by him. So, um, and I, that's one of my absolute favorite, favorite episodes. And you can tell that it is a little bit him. If you know him in the way that he does, um, Mm -hmm. storytelling and Mm -hmm. he likes to do this, this conflict, but with other stories going on at the same time, that's most of his movies are like, okay, there's a conflict over here, but then there's a story going on over here and over here. And then they're all going to come together and, um, if you haven't seen chapter 14, the tragedy um, for the Mandalorian, you definitely need to check that out. But I think Robert Rodriguez, I don't think that we've seen um, all from him that is the best from his directing yet. Um, I think he's produced um, more well-known movies than he's directed, but I love that. I love that he's okay stepping aside mm-hmm. as a as a director and saying, you know what, I may not be the right person to direct this film, but I want to be a part of it. So I'm going to help get it made. Um, but I love from dusk till dawn machete, like all of those, they're great. Like, I don't know if I would put them in campy films, um, but they are, they're, they're, they're tongue in cheek, sure. but they're very well made and they're so much fun, but they're dark and they're gritty. And it's, 
and Salma Hayek is hot and she's in almost every single one of his movies and she's hot in all of them. So like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and I love the fact that they took George Clooney and yes. he, that was, that, that was the height of his sexiest man alive. And well, they give him this the edgiest role for him at hand the time. tattoos and, and make him such a dark, awful. He's a mass murdering character. Yes. who gets caught up in a, in a strip club that turns out to be full of zombies. <laughs> And his movie like you do. are my favorite. Like if you just go Google yes. Robert Rodriguez movies and all the movie posters come up, like I would just like to have a room of just his movie posters. They're just so there. There's just, he just has a very specific look at the world um, that as you watch his films, you kind of get to live there for a minute. I mean, when you're watching spy kids and you have like these thumbs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, what the crap is that? They are so creepy. <laughs> so creepy. And weird. But but it's it works within the context well, and, of the film. One of the things on The Mandalorian, if you watch the behind-the-scenes um, making-of series, that he he Robert Rodriguez goes up to Jon Favreau and he says, you know, typically one page of script is one minute on screen. Mm -hmm. This is like 20 pages. And I shoot fast. I edit fast. This is going to yeah. be like a 15 minute episode. Yeah. So are you okay if I expand the action? And John Favreau goes, that's exactly why I want you to direct this <laughs> exactly. episode. Yeah. Because when I, and when I'm watching it, I'm as it's soon as the action started taking place, when Boba Fett starts opening up his can, um, yes. I was like, this is Robert Rodriguez. Like I, he's yep. such yes. a good you can tell. director yeah. of yeah. action. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, his action. That's yeah. why I like him. Again, his brain, he works a little bit backwards in filmmaking, just like um, Quentin Tarantino. But unlike Quentin Tarantino, um, I think that it's less about himself and more about the film. And he is quick. Mm -hmm. His editing is quick. His scenes are quick. He he is very much, um, if you can't, if somebody can't understand what you're trying to say in a minute or two, then that probably shouldn't be in the film or in the project that you're making. And I love the fact that he can say so much in so little time and you understand mm -hmm. it, you comprehend it and the character development that he can do in one scene, you know, like in um, Desperado when, you know, you have um, Antonio Banderas walk into this bar and he sets down his case and he sits there and he doesn't say really anything. And it seems like the longest time, but I think maybe it's 30 to 60 seconds on camera, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. understand something going to go down in here. Like, <laughs> 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 like yeah. I'm just like, what's going to, something's going to happen just because he shoots it so quick, but it seems like such a long period of time, but just the shots of the eyes to the case, to his hands, to, you know, the other guy's eyes. And you're just like, okay, like something's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's going down. Well, and I think he made that movie for like $19,000 yeah. or something. Most of his um, early 90s movies and into crazy the crazy low amount. It's not big budgets. And, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, again, because he can shoot so quickly and he understands, you know, how to tell a story. Like if he was in, if, if you've ever been to film school, like they make you make eight minute movies and you have to understand how to tell a movie and or tell a story mm -hmm. in such a short period of time. I bet he just aced that, you know, where all of us oh, are yeah. struggling. No, mm -hmm. I need more time to like just <laughs> drag this out, you know, but you know, I bet he was like, okay, hey, well mine's three minutes and it's like a masterpiece, you know, like, so, he, yeah. yeah, he just, he can fit so much story and so much character development and so short of period. It's that's, amazing to me when we live in a world right now when everybody's trying to make a three to four hour movie and he doesn't need mm -hmm. that to tell the story mm -hmm. you know it's i admire yeah. it like i admire the fact that he's like let's just tell it i don't need my ego behind it i don't need you know right. all of this stuff and i bet it was really hard for him for the mandalorian to say okay we gotta create some action here because he doesn't like to fill his movies with fluff everything needs to have right to have and everything occurs for a purpose. Um, and so I know that was a lot of movies to throw at you if you haven't seen it. But what I would what I would tell you is I couldn't pick just three, um, but I picked time periods is that if you have some time to watch some stuff, like start 
in the mid nineties with Robert Rodriguez and watch his stuff and then kind of move up into the two thousands. And I really think that I don't think his, his movies, they age really well as well. Like I could watch Desperado today and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was watching a movie from the mid nineties. I, I would feel like, oh, if I hadn't seen it, when is this new? You know what I mean? I mean, Antonio mm-hmm. Banderas mm-hmm. obviously is is older now, but how would you know? Like, n- nobody's seen him yeah. lately, so it's fine. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the only one that, that you might catalog is Des, um, from Dust Till Dawn. That one kind of is a 90s it is film a 90s, to me, but, but, but it is. it's still watchable today. Like, oh, you would still oh, absolutely. enjoy it. You would still absolutely. enjoy it. The, yeah. the the tongue in cheek humor in that one, Harvey Keitel, uh, George Clooney, um, yeah, Selma Hayek. That's a yeah. that's a good. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Robert Rodriguez. Good yeah. good choices. All right, so there we go. We've got three different directors. We will put put the choices that we made and the movies that we picked or the time periods that we picked <laughs> uh, in our write up uh, for this episode, so you can go check out those films. Um, in the meantime, please come back next week as we have more offbeat movies that we're going to be talking about this year, this month uh, with March Madness. And then keep uh, an eye on our social media when we announce when we are going to be doing our live episode about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It comes out March 18th. So spoilers, it will be after March 18th. So that we all had a chance to see it. Um, but you'll definitely want to keep posted for that. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember to like and subscribe, uh, whether it's on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. We always appreciate that. Um, and uh, we won't see you at the movies. Bye. Bye. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.